Welcome back to Sets and Reps. I come bearing gifts. This is episode number six, How to Be a Responsible Gun Owner, featuring my boss, Mr. Shelby Young. Now, if the title of this video causes you any concern or you are 100% against the use and possession of firearms for self-defense or proficiency, this is my disclaimer and I politely caution you against viewing or listening to this episode. But on the other hand, if you have reservations about the topic and still have an open mind, the points that we discuss may be very informative for you and shed a light on a lot of things uh, you may learn a lot. We talk about things to keep in mind when picking your first weapon. We talk about whether gun safes are worth it for the home. We talk about certain home defense situations and making sure that you educate family members on the substantial uh, reason that guns are in the home and what they are used for. And we basically made this episode to ensure with 100% certainty that you know what um, you're doing. Or basically reinforce the fact that you need to know what you're doing before you pick the weapon up. We also talk about um, preferences for carrying the gun and for storing the weapon. Um, we talk about the four universal rules for gun safety and some recommendations of instructional classes. So without further ado, I wanna get this episode rolling. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you learn a lot. Welcome back to Sets and Reps, everybody. This is my guest, Shelby Young. I want to just give him a warm welcome. How are you today this morning, my friend? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. I heard from a member the other day, and I didn't know this fact before, but it makes sense to me. Was Were you named after uh, the the car? The Shelby uh, car? Yeah. Yeah, my, my dad has a, a classic Shelby Mustang. That's his pride and joy, so that's what I'm named after. That's pretty cool. Um, that's that's like a powerful name. I feel like. And <laughs> did you see the uh, the car movie, the Shelby or the Ford versus Ferrari? Is that what it's called? Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, Ford that was Ferrari. really good. Yeah, I was I was impressed by that. When uh, I was in high school, when the Gone in sixty Seconds remake came out, so that's where most people were like, "Oh, because uh, before it got made fun of my name quite a bit." So really, you know, to get a little bit of redemption because they're like, "Okay, it's, it's kind of cool," I guess. Yeah. Oh, where, where people like, oh, that sounds like a girl's name and yeah. crap like that. Yeah. Yeah, Whatever. exactly. But yeah, you know, kids are kids, whatever. Absolutely. I want to thank you very much for coming on. I think um, you, of all people, are a pretty particularly good person to talk about our topics today uh, with. Um, I've been working with you for a while now. At Hampshire Hills, you are one of the most enjoyable people to work with. Uh, you provide a very professional and uh, kind of uh, trustworthy work environment. So that's, I just want to give you another shout out for that. Um, what I want to get into today is, is pretty, it's going to be pretty good for a lot of our listeners because um, it's a topic I feel like maybe isn't necessarily talked about as much as it should be um and i know it would be helpful to a lot of people um i recently purchased my first firearm i want to say it's been a year and a half now and i've been loving uh you know shooting it and, and learning how to aim well with it and and you know make sure that i'm being a responsible gun owner and keeping myself safe keeping my family safe um, and I know that you, you also own a gun, right? Uh, yeah, I purchased my first one a few years ago. Um, but it's something that I'd started shooting a few years before that at, uh, some friends that were, uh, in law enforcement, military and things like that. So they would take me out to the range and, and work with me on that. Um, 
And I was lucky enough to where my firearms instructor what had been an instructor at Six Hour Academy and then started his own private uh, handgun self-defense uh, and lots of other things uh, mixed in. He's since shut down that, that program, but uh, he's still very much involved with it. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so uh, did he help you at all when you were picking your first, when you were picking your weapon that you were going to buy for the first time? Somewhat. Uh, because he, when I took his handgun 101 course, it was uh, using simunition pistols, uh, which for those people that don't know, it's a firearms instructor specific kind of tool that it's basically a Glock 19, a regular Glock 19 that just has a different receiver put on it. So it can fire some munition rounds, which they look like just a regular nine millimeter shell, but then it's got a little ball of pink paint on the end of it. <laughs> and so you, you still get to practice all of your same techniques because it's the same weight and feel as a, as a regular Glock 19 because the only mm. thing that's different is, is the slide on top. Uh, and they hurt. So when we yeah. were doing uh, the close quarters training, you, you definitely know when you screwed up because it, does, it doesn't feel nice. But like the same technology is like paintball pretty much, right? But probably smaller. Uh, yeah, definitely smaller. And, and yeah, it's... Yeah, because even the most uh, realistic paintball gun is still pretty far away from what a real firearm actually feels like. So it, it was definitely cool to, to get to work with that. And then the firearm I wound up choosing for my first one uh, was also a, a striker fired nine millimeter. So that's why it, uh, it was a different brand. I went with a SIG instead of a Glock, but it just happened to be out of availability and, and a couple other small features that I liked the SIG had over the Glock, but they're both excellent. Yeah. So. Very cool. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I wanted to get a SIG in the future. Um, what would you recommend I get the one that you've purchased? I've definitely enjoyed it. It's, it's, yeah, I know it had, a little bit of a reputation because of uh, a defect from an older model, uh, which unfortunately that wound up being the model that a lot of law enforcement and military were using as well. Um, they've since corrected that. So SIG, their their reputation stands for themselves. They're they're a pretty amazing brand, and the fact that you know, they're located right here in New Hampshire is pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Um, what was the what was the defect that? That if you had a round in the chamber and it was dropped sharply and landed at just the right angle, then the, the firearm could accidentally discharge. Oh, wow. That's not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. So, but that's why they went back to the drawing board. They stand by their product. So they, they corrected everything they needed to. And, and now they're saying they're way above board again. Very good. Um, yeah. So I have a, I have a Smith & Wesson uh, 9mm. And it's the uh, it's the M&P. Mm -hmm. And when I bought it, it was kind of the first gun that I walked in the store and saw and it kind of jumped out to me. And then when I was when I was, you know, holding it and, and testing it out, like checking it out, it just it felt right for me. Um, the only thing about it that is a little like not frustrating, but it just takes some work or takes some getting used to is the trigger. It's just has a little bit of an extra pull. So for someone who was starting off shooting and um, not really too used to it yet, it's kind of tough because it was, it took a little bit of extra effort to pull the trigger down. Um, no safety on that. So that's probably, that's probably why. Uh, but was it was it kind of the same thing for you when you when you bought that like was it was it one that jumped out to you and you were just like that's the one that i'm gonna get yeah i'd fired uh, a few sigs before that some of my friends had used yeah. and i've used a lot of different uh firearms over the years the 1911 platform from smith and wesson is actually my my favorite handgun oh wow um, yeah it, it's just it's it's a nice big heavy reliable uh pistol and yeah chambered in 45 and it's yeah even at that caliber it absorbs all the recoil it's it's just a really nice fun gun to shoot um but i also wanted something that i could potentially have as a as a concealed carry if need be and the 1911 is just for that 
So even I wound up going with a, a 320 medium from SIG, uh, which is it's a little smaller than the full size. Their 320 is kind of their idea of the 1911 platform. Mm-hmm. So I it was already one that I was kind of comfortable with. Um, but yeah, it just it, it wound up being that it was the gun that I was looking for at the time that I had a friend who was selling it, and it, it worked it out well. But I'd shot um, some P229s before, which a lot of people consider to be like the greatest handgun ever made, and it is. It's it's a fantastic firearm. Um, so it was. I wasn't unfamiliar with SIGs, and like you said, it was kind of one of those. The first time I shot, I went, "Yeah, this is the one." It's buying your first firearm is. It's kind of like buying your first car. Like you have to do your research, you have to test drive a few, you have to kind of get a feel for it. But when you know, you know, like there's a lot of different factors that go into choosing your first one, which is why anytime somebody, I, you know me, I don't like to speak in absolutes. So when you have somebody tell you like, this is the gun, like this is the one that everybody should get, everybody should do this. Everybody's different. Yeah. Everybody, different, different body types, different hand sizes, you know. The size of the person shooting the firearm makes a big difference. There, there's a lot of things that, or like you said, the the weight of the trigger pull was a big thing. If you have, you know, short fingers, arthritic fingers, if you've got, you know, a lack of strength, there's a lot of reasons why you know, a big, heavy 1911, as much as I love it, is not right for a lot of people. So there, there's so many things that go into choosing your first firearm. And we're going to talk about a lot of these today of, you know, what is your what's your home scenario you know do you have kids you know what's what's your neighborhood like how even things that most people don't think about like how wide are your hallways and your doorways if you're yeah. as, as an in-home defense gun there's a lot of things that go into that i definitely want to get into uh in-home defense and some of the things that should be considered when you're you know you're buying a gun for home defense or or uh keeping it in a secure spot for home defense but um yeah thank you uh for all those things that's that's very those are important things that you know beginners buying their first uh weapon should keep in mind uh it's kind of it should be something that fits well for them as a person and you can't yeah they can't just be like a one size fits all it's not really it's not there's a lot of things that shouldn't be one size fits all and especially like the job that we do we, we know that in particular. So um, let's get into a little bit of what it takes. Like after you've purchased your firearm, what are some of the best practices to make sure that you are being a responsible gun owner? And I'd like to, I'd like to maybe break this down into like five easy things that people can remember. Um, I'd, I'd say like, you know, I can say one and then you can let me know what you think about this. Just like, you know, keeping it, keeping it in a good safe spot is, is a good Mm -hmm. tip, right? That should be one. These don't don't have to be in any particular order either. No. Yeah. And and we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, kind of what the idea of a a safe spot is, whether, you know, vehicle or home or things like that. Um, I was going to go over, if you don't mind, there, there's what a lot of people consider to be the four universal rules of uh, firearm safety. Let's do that. Yeah. The four, the four universal rules of firearm safety. Perfect. So um, first one is assume that every firearm is real and loaded. Yes, 100%. That's a good one. The number of people who have been shot by unloaded firearms is, is kind of ridiculous because, you know, one guy goes, oh, it's not loaded, and they hand it to you. And, you know, if you don't check it yourself, every firearm is loaded until you have personally both visually and physically checked the chamber and the magwell. Like, there, there's really no substitute for this, that you should, you know, eject the magazine, rack the slide. If, it, if it's a semi-automatic pistol, if it's a revolver, same thing. Roll the cartridge or roll the chamber out. Make sure that you can see that it's empty. Um, and, and actually put your hand up and put your finger up inside there too to make sure that there's not a round that's been you know, temporarily lodged in there because there there have been a lot of really awful mishaps over the year. Uh, Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee, died from a, a, a firearm mishap that happened on the set of The Crow. That, yeah, Crazy to me. like that Because that was supposed to be like a... Uh, wasn't that supposed to be a blank that was yeah, fired? This is one of these things that's it's kind of now become almost a, a legend of Hollywood lore. So they were using 
I believe it was a 44 Magnum, um, because of course, you know, it's the, it's the dirty hair you got. It's big. It's impressive. Everybody loves the, the look of the, you know, the Smith and Wesson 44 Magnum. Um, but they had, they had to cut corners on a couple of the things. So they had rounds where they had pulled all of the powder out. Mm. So it, it was just to look like, Hey, here's an impressive bullet to show on screen. And then they had dummy rounds where they would just remove the head off the bullet. So when you pulled the trigger, you had a big loud bang and you know, some muzzle flash and, and it looked impressive. The problem was on one of the dummy rounds, they had pulled the trigger and the powder was out, but they had left the primer on the end of the round. So the primer was enough to push the head of the bullet into the barrel of the gun. And then when the next round was just a powder round, so it had no head on it, it was basically like him getting shot by a full uh, 44 round. Gosh, was that, was that instant kill or did he, you know, sustain wounds? I I don't know. I don't know how long it took after that, but that's from granted. Like I, this was also uh, a long time ago that I was doing research on this. So yeah, they might, there might've been new information developed since then. Cause like when you talk to, um, his family, yeah. Every time they've done interviews, they always talk about whether it's about Bruce or Brandon Lee. They always say, you know, "We choose not to focus on how they died. We want to focus on how they lived," which is a, a wonderful thing. But it's it should be a you know a strong testament to that you you never really know you know what's going on with a firearm until you have personally handled it and checked it yourself. Absolutely. Um, just because of the nature of the device itself, it just it mm-hmm. looks doesn't look any different than when it's uh, chambered versus when it's not. So, really good tip to keep in mind for number one. Okay. Uh, so number two is that you never point the firearm at anything you're not willing to destroy, and that's you know person, object, animal, anything like that. That you know you see a lot of the uh, the kind of Mexican standoff stuff in in Holland. Uh, Hollywood, and we'll talk about you know some of the movie stuff a little bit later, but where you have people that are just kind of pointing guns at each other, and you know it's a really tense situation. Then all of a sudden they just bring them down. It's like at any point during that, things could have popped off horribly. So you never, never jokingly point a gun at anything. It's it's always you know with the intent that if I'm going to aim this at something, it's something I intend to destroy. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 very it's like a childlike thing that like we'd grow up with like pretending to shoot guns at each other and just like pointing all that. And even if I had a toy gun and I was always around my parents, like even them not being gun owners, they knew that it was a safe thing not to pretend to point something at someone. Um, Cause you know, it, oh, it's yeah. a, it's a real thing and, and it's, it's, it's not a toy later on when you do get your hands on a real weapon, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, that's really it's good. good to build the, it's good to build those habits early. And that's part of the thing that if you're going to own a firearm and have children, then they need to know about it as well. The idea that you're going to keep your gun completely locked away from your kids and they're never going to touch it no matter what, even when you're not home, it's, it's unrealistic to think that. So the, the earlier that you can start to safely educate kids about what proper firearm safety is, the better. Because then they'll already have those habits ingrained in themselves. That you know, I'm not saying that no kid should ever play with a squirt gun or a Nerf gun or anything like that. I did. They're a whole lot of fun. Like, but mm-hmm. that's why. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. When when I was growing up, it was just kind of at the end of the time of realistic looking toy guns, and you know, they just started to put like the orange end cap onto onto guns to mm-hmm. um, toy guns to make them. Because you know, there were there were a lot of mishaps, and it's you know it's really tragic where you had uh, kids pointing toy guns at police officers, and they looked too real, and you didn't know, and you know you had a, a kid with a squirt gun get shot accidentally. So, and it's it's really no fault of the officer. Then just you don't have time to check it to to see what's going on. Now, you know the age of the kid might give you some indication, but in the end, you don't know. You know kids find their parents firearms all the time and it's it's it really is tragic when something like that can happen and that's you know an improperly stored firearm or you know a poorly educated family or you know, there's a lot of thing of, about you know the responsible gun owner which is you know everybody likes to think that they are one but it, it never hurts to kind of double check yourself and see am i actually doing all the things that i should be doing absolutely yeah my uh my 
my brother uh, owns firearms and he's got uh, five uh, children. So that's a lot. That's something that, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, what, when do you feel like is the good age to start educating children? Probably when they start to think and process things, right? So maybe like 10 or. I'd even think a little bit earlier than that. Earlier. Because, yeah. Kids. Will, eight or nine. Eight. Seven or eight. It's, it's going to be yeah. different for kids mature at different ages. So it's same thing. I don't want to put like a hard and fast rule yeah, on it. True. Um, but. If you think of like when you were a little kid, kids are constantly searching through their parents' homes to find things. And most of the times they're trying to find things that their parents don't want them to find. Now, if you think of like searching for, you know, we just had Christmas, searching for your Christmas presents ahead of time, that kind of thing. Um, so the idea that you can hide your guns away in a place that your kids are never going to find them, it's, it's a constant scavenger hunt. Kids are always, as soon as they can, as soon as they can climb, you're in trouble. Yeah. When, when they're small and young, and they, if you're going to, you know, we'll talk about staging a little bit later, but you know, if you were to, to stage a rifle up on top of a, a tall, uh, you know, six foot tall cabinet and your child can't really walk or climb yet, then that's, that's safely out of their reach. Now there's other factors like if other people are coming into your home and that kind of stuff, but as soon as they can climb, they'll climb anything that they can get their hands on. So it's, and we'll we'll talk about gun safes in a little bit, but that's that, that's stuff to keep in mind is that where where you place your firearm is incredibly important because where you think your your kid can't get to, they can. Like you can never count on that. Absolutely. Um, what what were the other two? What were the other two uh, universal? Uh, so yeah, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. Got you. So. All of this got broken down for me into to two rules before when I took my first handgun course. So like before you're even allowed to touch the firearm is muzzle management and trigger finger safety, which kind of covers a lot of the stuff that like you don't you don't point the, the barrel of the weapon at anything that you're not willing to destroy and your finger stays on the slide on the or on the frame of the weapon. Um, not anywhere inside the trigger guard, not even if it's within the trigger guard, but just off the trigger, mistakes can still happen. So just keeping it out of that, like, you know, keep your booger hook off the boomstick, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Keep the boogers off the gun. Then, yes. <laughs> there's that too. Yeah. You don't want no more boogers on your trigger. Um, and then lastly, it's uh, know your target and what's behind it. Mm. Um, yeah. Because, which is a lot of, yeah, people probably don't think about that as much. No, it's behind well, obviously, it. once again, like, yeah, that's that's the big thing. And we'll, we can talk a little bit about uh, when choosing a, an in-home firearm, issues of over-penetration and that kind of stuff, That things that you have to manage. Because it, mm -hmm. it's not just you know, stopping the intruder, but it's also making sure that you don't accidentally injure anyone around you, uh, you know, unintentionally. Um, the difference between um because i've never i've never had like any personal experience with this but like shooting a like a hollow point versus just um like the the opposite of that right would just be the it's just the regular lead tipped right and then which yeah. which is more likely to like seriously go through like a wall and damage a wall yeah so the the harder the the end of the projectile, the more likely it is to over penetrate. And oh, okay. that's where, yeah, there, there's things that they call like self-defense ammo, um, which isn't, it's designed to, you know, enter a body and then expand out. You're trying to cause, you know, and trigger warning for, for anybody who's not, uh, who's offended by the talk of like, you know, bodily mutilation and death and that kind of, I suppose we should have done that towards the start of the episode. Yeah, maybe I can do, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll add that in for an introduction. <laughs> That'd be a bad idea. Um, it's all, yeah. it's, it's, hey, I mean, people, it's, it's okay to, to talk about things that are a little bit on the uncomfortable side. This is, this yeah. is episode, this is like episode six. So I'm, I'm yeah. setting the stage. Anything goes. Anything goes here. Sets and reps. Sets and reps. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so the idea is that with the self-defense ammo, you're trying to cause as much bodily damage with each round as possible. That's the way that we talk about it is you're not shooting to intentionally kill a person. You're shooting to stop them. There, yeah, there's ammunition that's designed to, to enter the body and then expand out, causing a big wound track. Yeah. Um, which obviously, the bigger the wound track, the fewer rounds you're going to have to use. Which, you know, depending on the firearm that you're using, could be a pretty significant thing. Um, if you have a 15-round magazine versus a 7-round magazine, with the 7-round, obviously, you have to make every shot count. Not that with the 15-round that you can just throw away rounds. You never want to do that. Um, but it having to reload in the middle of an active engagement is obviously, it's gonna cost time and it, it leaves you vulnerable for a certain amount of time. Um, so so that's certainly something to, to keep in mind. Um, Cause you only, the, yeah, you wanna work with what you got. And uh, yeah. that's why I like, you know, gotta exactly. make sure your aim is good. Yeah. Oh, and that's another part of, you know, yeah. Making sure that you're, you're shooting at what you think you're shooting at. And there's a lot of things that happen in, uh, high stress situations, things like tunnel vision, um, what they call auditory exclusion, where you can't hear what's going on around you. So like you you talk to you know, military operators, law enforcement, um, people that have been in these situations and they talk about literally like they could only see what was in front of them, that everything else around kind of disappears. And that's one of the effects of adrenaline is, and it affects everybody differently, but you'll also get time distortion. So people will think that things happened faster than they did or that they happened slower than they did or maybe didn't happen at all. The mind will do some funny things under really high stress situations. So, Yeah, man, that, um, that sympathetic nervous system, right? Just kind of taking over. Exactly. It's crazy. That's really yeah. interesting. I've seen like, I've seen that tunnel vision effect in movies where it's just kind of like everything zooms in on the one thing the person's focusing on. Everything else kind of gets blurred. So that's pretty cool um what have you experienced any uh accidents with your firearm or any kind of close calls with your firearm that you can you can note um or have you been around anything um i personally haven't had any issues with mine um because i I've always maintained a healthy respect for firearms. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I grew up in the eighties. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, I know we'll talk about movies a little bit later, but like yes. I grew up in a time of like hyper violence of, you know, Terminator, Robocop, Rambo, Commando, Predator, all that stuff. Um, so I was always kind of fascinated by the power of, of guns. You know, when you see them on TV and it's like, whoa, look at that. Yeah. But from the very first time that you know, I saw you know, my dad's uh, 22 bolt action rifle. I was like, okay. Like, I always had a very healthy respect for it. Um, like, kind of like you said, when you were, like, almost scared the first time to kind of to touch your first firearm. That's a good thing. Like, that, that means that you have a healthy respect for it. What tends to happen is people get too comfortable with things that can kill you, you know. And this could be whether it's a firearm, uh, a motorcycle, live electrical wires, a chainsaw, I don't care what it is. Uh, I used to do um, tree work back when I was uh, working at a summer camp while I was in college. And you'd see guys just swinging chainsaws around and just being absolute idiots with it. And it's like, this this thing will destroy you in horrific ways. Like you, you, can't, you can't treat it that way. It's not a toy. Like you have to give it the healthy respect it deserves because of what it can do. And it won't like, it, the idea that like, firearms are inherently evil we're you know morality is something that we're going to kind of leave out of this conversation a bit but in the end like the the user causes the effect like the the tool itself can't do anything without the user behind it so and if the user is you know for lack of better words if they're an idiot if they're you know behaving improperly then you know obviously really horrible things can happen you know accidents do happen i've like i said i've been lucky where because i've always kind of maintained that i've always you know check my weapon, make sure that it's clear. Yeah. We do yeah, follow the, the four universal rules. And the, the fifth one you can add is just don't be an idiot, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. I like that one. We can make uh, an addendum 
to uh, <laughs> the four universal rules and just make it five. Five, five is don't be an idiot. Then. Um, but yeah, I, I remember uh, being at a friend's house and you know one of them pulled out his, his uh, it was a, I think it was a nine millimeter Beretta. Um, but same thing, his friend just like grabs that out of his hand and starts waving it around. And like, luckily, one, the first guy should have never pulled it out. Like there was no reason to, he just kind of wanted to show off. And it's like, eh. it, once again, it's not a toy. It's not something to be like, oh my God, look at this. Look at how cool this thing is I just got. And the other guy grabbing out of his hand was inexperienced and you know it, it was it was loaded with a live round in the chamber so like he's just kind of waving it around and uh i immediately got out of the room like i'm not going to be here for this like you guys settle this so that's the closest i've come luckily to to having any kind of an accident with it and luckily nothing happened um but you know also being at the range sometimes <clears throat> you'll see people do stupid things um there's, you know, you probably heard it either called flagging or veining, but that's, you know, where somebody will be pointing their weapon down range and then will turn and, and swing it. You know, maybe they're trying to turn to talk to somebody, but all of a sudden anything that passes in front of the barrel of that gun, you know, there could potentially, you know, be a discharge. Somebody could die. So that's once again where, you know, muzzle management, trigger finger safety. Like if you could just keep those two things in mind, you'll avoid the vast majority of problems that people run into yeah absolutely um how about you just remember <laughs> I, I, yeah i remember one thing this this is just like the only thing that happened and it was a result of me being probably it was like my first time coming in contact with guns and there was a um an outing where i was with a bunch of adults they had, they had, uh, you know, we had some handguns and we were kind of on uh, a family friend's property. He had a, like a bunch of acres and it's kind of cool about that is that it's like secluded. So there's not a lot of people around and you can just kind of shoot in your own backyard basically. So we mm -hmm. were just, we were just shooting and um, I guess like as I was aiming, I was just like, I was not being... I was not being cognizant of, you know, where, like the position of my gun. I was shooting a little bit too close to the ground in front of me. And it was like, and I hadn't noticed that it was like, you know, causing the dirt to kind of pop up like near me. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't anything that made the situation like too terribly unsafe, but, uh, but I, I just had to get verbal, um, you know, external response from other people that were around me like oh like you know watch where you're aiming like you know make sure that you're aiming it up higher and so that's that's technique and and issues like that probably i think probably one of the best ways to work on tightening that up is is classes and kind of mm -hmm. making sure you have some instruction from someone that's professional or at least has a lot more experience than you um, I know that you said your friend had, he, he taught classes, right? That in the beginning of the podcast, you were mentioning your, uh, your friend that had taught classes like that. Um, yeah, were they, he, they were gun safety or defensive courses? Both. Uh, so both. he started off as the, it's actually, it's my, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, uh, John Fain, who runs Triumph Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, he was working as the, uh, hand-to-hand self-defense instructor for Six Hour Academy. And he'd been, you know, around firearms his whole life. So he was already pretty experienced, but they're like, hey, would you want to become a, you know, a pistol instructor, a rifle instructor, and a firearm and a shotgun instructor as well? So he started taking all of those trainings and, you know, applying it with his, his pretty vast knowledge he already had of, uh, you know, empty hand self-defense techniques. And like I said, he was already very experienced with firearms. So it wasn't like his his first exposure. Um, so he then started to, to teach classes up there. And then eventually um, he and some other instructors opened up their own uh, academy that they were uh, teaching handgun safety and things like that. And so he, he ran them right out of Triumph. And so as soon as he was like, yeah, I'm doing handgun 101, I'm like, all right, sign me up. Like, let's, let's, let's do this. Because there's somebody I already, you know, 
know and trusted and respected. So that uh, that really it made me able to feel comfortable. And I was impressed because when I got there, he wasn't running the show. There was another instructor he had working for him who was far more experienced than he was, um, both with a wider variety of firearms and in live fire situations because he'd been uh, both in the Navy and then done uh, a lot of uh, uh, personal bodyguardish things like private security stuff all over the world and had you know this one of those guys that when you talk to it's like you've seen some stuff you know there's some people that you you talk with them and it's like okay like you you've you've been involved in some really heavy situations and you've come out of it alive and you've learned a lot from it so that's somebody that you can always learn something from because they they've been to that to those kind of dark awful things that most of us will never have to deal with and they've come out of it with some life lessons that will stay with you forever. Yeah, huge respect to those people. Um, probably the best, probably the best people to like work in those situations of instruction, um, because just like you said, they've been through those situations. So, if you were to recommend like a class to uh, a someone who's a novice at firearms, and would would you would you say that? A safety course is is like a is like a must or 100 yeah yeah i i really don't like unless you know a lot of people talk about you know well i teach my you know, like i taught my kids it's like unless you are yourself you know law enforcement or have been active military um or you know have have just been involved in that kind of a thing i really feel there's no substitute for learning from someone who's a professional like it's kind of like, you know, when you and I see uh, a dad coming into the gym and trying to teach their kid how to lift just because, you know, dad's been lifting, you know, for a long period of his life. Just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean that you've been doing it correctly. And that's always the thing to keep in mind is that experience and quality don't always go hand in hand. So true. I, I think a lot of times, you know, as we find as well, you could have a dad who does actually know quite a bit about, you know, fitness and lifting technique and a lot of things and the kid just doesn't want to listen because it's his dad that it's it's easier to take instruction from somebody who you're not related to it's the same reason why like you see couples training together and most of the time it doesn't work terribly well because there there's you're now changing the the power dynamic from something that may have once been a level playing field now you have somebody who's like well no i'm in charge of this situation so there there, there's that kind of thing that goes along with it as well. So that's why a lot of times having somebody who's uh, a neutral party, somebody who's just outside and, and who's also a specialist, that it's like if, if they are a firearms instructor and this is all they do, they will probably have tips and tricks for, for teaching and training that even a very experienced parent has never heard of before. Of course, yeah. Perfect. Um, and then... The safety course, or I'm sorry, the defensive course kind of goes beyond the safety course, right? Because you you have an opportunity to learn about situations that you may be in and how to best deal with them. Um, so uh, I've like I've I've, not, I've I have yet to take a safety course, but I'm but I'm very interested in take taking a defensive course because I've had like. A, a little bit of experience with my own firearm and I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd like to learn about what to do in different situations like that. So oh, yeah. yeah. Would you, would you agree that a uh, defensive course is like a secondary thing that you should take like after you've, yeah. um, after you become more comfortable with how to be safe with your firearm? Yeah. And I, said, I know I've talked a lot about um, six hour, but it's, it, it's because I respect them a lot, but their academy has stratified skill levels. So starting at like 101, you know, bare bones basics, you've, you've either only had very little experience with a firearm or maybe you've never touched one before and they go over, you know, all of the mechanics of the weapon, um, ways to make it function, ways to make it malfunction, how to clear malfunctions, all of these different things, you know, the, the four universal rules. And then next level up from that, you'll get into, you know, drawing and shooting more effectively, um, cleaning up technique errors. You know, it's, there, there's so many things that are 
natural but inherently wrong. Like when you, you know, when you draw the the firearm, bringing your arm straight up in front of you is, you know, to try to meet the 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 sights to your sight line. Right. Is not how you would want to do that. The same thing, especially because if you were doing that in a a real life situation, then it means that you're you're pointing it at somebody. You know, once again, you're pointing at somebody or something that you intend to destroy. So if that that person or you know an animal, if that's although you wouldn't usually use a handgun to hunt an animal, and well we can talk about that like using the right tool for the right job. Um, but if something's advancing on you, you don't want to have your full arm length come straight up in front of you because that there you know the swing and the time and everything it doesn't it doesn't match up well. Instead, you know you want to bring it up to your chest and extend out from there. So almost that's pressing like it out a, in my position. That's like a like a a meter too like they can see it happening right and, it, and it's a lot slower it's a lot slower and it's it takes you longer to actually get the barrel on target because if you think of the the time so if i start with my my hands pointing straight down as i'm bringing it up you know if i have to fire early i'm uh, i'm going to shoot at the ground or you know maybe only you know hits you know hit somebody in the leg but versus if i draw and then bring it to my stomach it's already the barrel's already now at center mass so even if I have to fire with my hands, you know, tucked in tight to my chest, it, it's already pointing at potentially vital targets. And then from there, they call it railing. I can, can rail in or out depending on how close my target is to me. But the barrel is still pointing at the exact same spot, whether it's in tight to my chest or straight out away from me. It's still, it's still center mass. Does that um, make sense? Definitely, definitely. Keeping it, keeping it close to your center of gravity and having more control over it in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And that's, that's a really good way to put it is, is control is that, you know, two hands on, you know, trying to, to shoot one handed, like you see in the movies is uh, it's, it's risky at best. And you know, they're trying to shoot, you know, uh, whether you're, you know, think you're a wild West cowboy or, you know, something out of a, a John Woo movie where, you know, you've got you know, a gun in each hand and, you know, dual wielding, double tapping, all that. So what, what's, what's your preference uh, as far as, like, holster position? I, I have a sticky holster. It's the kind that you can kind of put it in your pants, and it won't, um, it won't move, and it's got that uh, resistance to it. And I like, I like to, like, I, I haven't, you know, walked out in public with it yet, um, but I would keep it in the back of my uh, pants just to kind of practice with it. Do you prefer that, or do you prefer having it in the front at your hip? So you mean, when you wear so a holster. Is your, so if you, if is yours is yours in pocket or is it uh, waistband? It's uh, in pocket. Okay. I know. I know yeah, there's a difference between. Yeah, there's it. Yeah, which which position that you carry in is it's again it's very personal. Um, yeah. So some people like. Some people say appendix carry above all else, which is, you know, if you were to think of your body as a clock, kind of like two o'clock would be appendix carry. So kind of above your front pocket in your waistband is where, mm. you know, majority of people who like to conceal carry uh, will keep it. You know, some people like it more at four o'clock, kind of back behind the hip. And there, there's different reasons for that, um, that if you were, if you were sitting down, then appendix can be tougher to access. You know, you have to either straighten your leg out or stand up in order to pull it. Um, in pocket, obviously, same thing. You could run into that depending on, on how you know, flexed your hip is, how tight the area is. So like being in your car, then in pocket, if you had to draw quickly, could be tough from in there. Um, there is, you know, the traditional shoulder holsters you'll see most of the time are, are cross body draw. And same thing, some people like cross front waist draw, although that tends to be quite a bit more rare. Um, yeah. And then more kind of back towards like five or six o'clock, you'd have a reverse hand position would be another way to go about it. So it's stuff that most people don't think about and, and you don't be like obsessed about it. And, you know, we're constantly going, ah, oh, you know, it's, should it be, you know, four or four thirty or, you know, just whichever position you decide to carry at. Um, it's just something you have to practice with, you know, practice your drawing technique and, you know, you can do it from both standing and sitting um, and just to kind of get a feel for what's going to be the most natural to you. Um, the, uh, the firearms instructor that I had, the, the former Navy guy, um, I remember him making a joke 
where somebody was like, so like, what do you think of uh, carrying a backup piece on your ankle? And he goes, he's like, dude, I'm fat. He's like, there's no way that I'm gonna be reaching down to my toes to grab a piece from my ankle in any sort of a way. He's like, so instead he's like, I, he's like, I, I keep my, my main one at appendix. And he's like, and I have my backup piece behind actually in a reverse grip at seven o'clock. Cause he was, he was comfortable enough having done it for so many years that he could shoot with either hand. It was also from doing a lot of bodyguarding and escorting that if he needed his right hand, you know, to kind of, to move the person he was protecting out of the way, then he needed to be able to draw and, and engage with his left hand. So it's, but that was just, that's obviously not what your average person is going to have to do. Um, if you want to work on that, that'd be obviously a way more advanced technique, but that, that he found that for the situations that he was in, that that kind of wanted to being his best thing is having uh, appendix carry and seven o'clock. Yeah. So. That must be a stressful job, huh? Being a bodyguard. Jeez. Uh, yeah, exactly. Cause then it's, you're, you know, you're a human shield. Your, your job is to keep somebody else alive, but obviously you have to keep yourself alive to keep that other person alive too. So there, it's not a job I would want, but Hey, you know, more power to the people that do it and do it well. We talked about um, the things that um, are great to keep in mind, owning a gun and, and buying one for the first time. But do you remember any notions that you had before you purchased one that either you, uh, you, you learned better than your, than your notion that you had before? Like you, you were, you proved yourself wrong or you, or, you know, was it all just kind of based on research you you were pretty much got what you were expecting um can you talk to me a little bit about that well prior to yeah prior to we like really digging into to some of the research and, and trying out a bunch of different firearms and deciding what it was that i actually wanted to purchase um i had the idea like a lot of people do that you know that bigger is better that you wanted to have you know the biggest most impressive most intimidating weapon that you could find you know so uh at the time i was like yeah, it's down the desert eagle 50 caliber which you know anybody who's like fans of the matrix that's you know the the agents use you know desert eagle 50s and it's this giant shiny hand cannon that you know is really expensive only holds uh i think seven rounds and the recoil will you know will hurt like hell I don't care how tough you are. It's, it's going to be rough. So it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it looks big and impressive and it's probably, I I've shot a few 50 caliber handguns at, uh, at, at different events and they're, they're fun, but it's not practical. It's not something that I would ever actually own. Um, just because the amount of use that I would actually get from it would be pretty limited. Uh, and it's certainly nothing that I would ever carry as a, as a self-defense tool. Um, and even I say fun after, you know, four or five rounds, it hurts. Like it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your hand hurts. Yeah. yeah you don't the meat. Even, yeah. Yeah. One of the last events I was at, a guy had a, a Smith and Wesson 500, which, you know, it, it looks like, you know, the dirty hairy 44 Magnum on steroids. And oh, he even said, he's just like, he's like, I only bring it out for things like this. He's like for other people to shoot. He's like, I don't even like shooting it. He's like, I have it just for things like this. Because yeah, you fire one or two rounds out of it and your arm is instantly tired. So I don't care how tough you are. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I fired a uh, 50 caliber revolver once or twice and yeah. definitely just seems like the type of gun that you just shoot for fun and not practical for home defense at all. So yeah. No, no, not at all. Um, so real quick, let's touch on the gun safe issue they're kind of they're i know that they're pretty expensive um but i also know that they're i mean again it probably depends on which one you buy and what brand but um they seem like a really uh surefire way to keep your weapons secure uh, especially if you can lock in and have like a personal combination or something like that that only you know well, that, that's something to to kind of keep in mind is that it once again you got to look at your situation of you know are you somebody who thinks that you're going to have to 
you know, draw your firearm in your home under, under duress in a very short amount of time. Because security and accessibility are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum from each other. Because obviously, the, the more accessible a firearm is, the less secure it is. The more secure it is, the longer it's going to take you to get it. So it, it really depends on what you feel you need. And, and obviously, you know, people who say, oh, I live in a, a small town where nothing ever happens. Something can happen. So, it, and it's not to make people paranoid. And it's not to say that, like, you need to always, you know, have multiple firearms at the ready, ready to go at all times. But it's just something to, to kind of keep in mind that, like, no, no place is 100% safe all the time. Um, but obviously, if you live in a very high crime neighborhood where, you know, where break-ins are really common, then you might need to have something that's more accessible, which in, means it's inherently less secure. Um, so I'd be more of a, if you're going to have something with a combination, it should be a short, easy to remember combination for you. Um, I also like the idea of, of biometric safes where it's just, you put your thumbprint on it and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, the criticism that most of the biometric safes get is that, well, you know, if the battery dies or if the power goes out, then you can't access your firearm. The majority of the, the biometric safes that you'll see now have a backup key. So if the battery dies or the power goes out, which you know, they'll, they'll give you a warning well ahead of time that the battery is getting low, so you have a chance to change it. So you shouldn't run into one of these situations. But um, right. And even the ones that plug into the wall usually have a battery backup. But then at least you can still have a key, provided once again that you know where it is and you can access it quickly. Um, there's also uh, the lock boxes that have a – they have – five finger buttons so you can uh, set it to different um, finger touch combinations so it's like you know maybe I have thumb uh, index and pinky so I squeeze those three buttons and it pops open and you can access so that isn't one that's going to be secure for long so that's not you wouldn't want to just leave your firearm at home in the box especially if once again if you have kids if your kids have friends over if there's you know other people within your house you know then that's not something that's going to keep your firearm secure when you're not there. It's just something that will keep it from being accidentally accessed while you're there. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And then that's probably important for people to know if they're planning on buying one or want yeah. to add one to their home. Um, that's really good. But yeah. If you, but yeah, if you own, you know, multiple different firearms, then having a gun safe is, is definitely a good idea. Um, and one that's also secured to either the wall or the floor, because people love to steal guns, which uh, we didn't touch a ton on, on car safety, but don't put firearm stickers on your car. It's just, it's not impressive, and it's just kind of, yeah, it basically is a big target on your car. Like, people think it acts as a deterrent, like, oh, yeah, don't come near me. I've got a gun. People love to steal guns. Like, guns are, they're expensive. And contrary to what, you know, a lot of times you hear, the black market is not always the easiest to find. So stealing a firearm to use in a crime is, is going to be the ideal way to go about it. So, like, if you have a big Glock symbol on the back of your pickup truck, then somebody knows, hey, if I search this truck, I'm probably going to find a handgun. So it's – yeah. That, I just don't think it's a good idea to, to advertise that you are a firearms owner or that you know, there's probably a firearm within this vehicle. Um, Same reason you don't like, you don't uh, like make it known that you have cash on you when you go to like another country or something like that. It's exactly. yeah, it's just common sense. That's good. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't want to stand out. And, you know, we, you know, we talked a little bit the other day about kind of like the, the main reasons that people will purchase a firearm for self-defense that they usually think of different scenarios. Mm. And it's usually, you know, you're attacked in public by one or more person. Um, you're involved in an active shooter situation in public, which, you know, it's becoming more and more the norm lately. Shopping malls, you know, concerts, all sorts of different events. Um, or attacked in your home by one or more people. So if you're out in public and... I, I'm not a fan of people who, and once again, yeah, personal preference, you do what you want, but just if you're going to open carry, you know, having your, your firearm exposed on your hip, 
some people think that it's going to act as a visual deterrent to to violence or crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if somebody walked in and goes, I'm going to rob this place or I'm going to you know, shoot up this place and there's a person with a gun, the, the gun owner, their thought is, I'm going to be a visual deterrent that that person's going to see me and they're going to think they're going to think again about it. And maybe if you, have, if you have somebody who's not really committed to doing what they're doing, um, but if you have somebody who is, you know, genuinely like, I'm, I'm going to, to rob this place or I'm going to commit a mass act of violence here, you're now the first target. So it's, it's something, it, it's kind of the idea that like locked doors only keep out honest people. That if somebody really wants to commit crime, if somebody really wants to be violent, they're going to. That you just being there, you know, with pistol on your hip, you're not going to dissuade them from doing what it is they're planning to do. You better know damn well how to use it. Definitely sure that this podcast will help people know how to use it and and help give them some things to think about. Say again? I hope so. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, Oh, that was something that we, we touched upon briefly back when we, we first started talking, um, but it was the idea of like of choosing uh, a firearm for, for your home is that to, to decide based on you know, how close your neighbors are as far mm-hmm. as like the over-penetration issue that we talked about. Um, so you know, if you're in a farm in the middle of nowhere, then you don't have to worry about you know, the rounds going through the wall out into you know, your neighbor's house. You do obviously if you have, you know, your, your spouse or your kids in other rooms, then obviously that's something to, to deal with when choosing both your firearm and the ammunition that you're gonna use. Um, but there's, you know, if you're in an apartment building, your neighbor's right there. So you gotta make sure that you're not going to overpenetrate. So that's where uh, things like you know, a shotgun can, can be beneficial as long as you're not loading slugs. You're probably not going to go through the wall. Um, you know, birdshot is, is not really designed for, for killing, but it'll, it'll certainly be painful and, and definitely a deterrent. Um, buckshot will, will do a, a lot of damage and probably won't go through the wall quite as much. Um, versus, you know, if you're, you know, a lot of people have been fans of, you know, the AR-15s and things like that, um, that now you've got max speed, so you have max penetration, so that obviously could be way more of an issue. So, and, and kind of like we talked about that, like if you, if you have very narrow hallways or, or narrow doorways, then a long gun might not be as wieldy uh, for for you know maneuvering through your house as you need to. So obviously, like the handgun's going to be the most maneuverable, but it's you know it, once again it's it's really an individual choice, and there's a there's a whole lot of uh, factors that go into deciding what you're going to carry, how many you're going to own, how you're going to secure them. There's a it, we just really want people to be safe and to and to try to educate themselves as much as possible when, when making these kind of choices. Yes, please. Education is severely important. And then um, uh, kind of circling back around, if I go to the, to the, uh, to the defensive course, um, if you can get the opportunity to uh, train at a course that lets you do some, some hands-on work, so where you have a person actively trying to you know, either physically harm you or, you know, or to take your firearm from you, that adds a whole nother element to things that most people never deal with. Because they, for a lot of people, they just have this idea that I have a gun, I can defend myself at all times. But if somebody is in too close to you for you to be able to draw and to get on target fast enough, then now you're in a pretty sticky situation. Or if you don't know how to, you know, just keep your hand on on the butt of your pistol and, and shove it down hard into your holster so somebody else can't take it from you. That's something that needs to be practiced. You know, and being able to defend yourself off with your free arm, with using your legs. So there, there's a lot of the, the hand-to-hand stuff that comes into play way more than people want to give it credit for. They think, well, I have a gun, I'm safe, that's it. When it's not always necessarily the case. And, and even kind of taking a step back from that, that Choosing to carry is a huge responsibility in and of itself that, you know, if you and I are, are out in a bar and neither of us is armed and we get in a fight, you know, it could still go badly, but it still is, is just two unarmed people in a fist fight. If either of us has a gun, now it's, now it's an armed confrontation. Even if it's concealed, even if I had no intention of drawing it, the fact that now you and I are in a fight, I have brought a firearm to the fight, which means that it could potentially come into play. 
So it's it's a huge responsibility that comes up. Which you know, I'm too old to go looking for fights at any point anyway. But you know, it's it's a thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. Sure, we can find a spot. Um, tonight's tonight's New Year's at the time that we're recording this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure we can go find a spot if you're interested. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, man. I'm I'm glad. cut out again uh, yeah yeah as with most things this year I, okay i said yeah I, I don't have anything to prove to anybody i don't i don't gotta fight anybody my ego is fully in check and uh as with most things this year you know this new year's is going to be quiet and at home and you know just just me and the girlfriend so very no, good no need to be out at the party i'll probably just be at home myself with uh with my mom and my dad doing something so That'll wow. be good. Star life, man. Rockstar, man. Um, quick, uh, real quick. Let's 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 take it to yeah. a kind of more like uh, we've we've been talking a lot of serious and um, specific subjects, which is obviously important for the nature of our discussion. But I wanted to kind of take an opportunity to um, mention some of our favorite. Uh, films that feature guns so like uh, stuff along the lines of shoot 'em up or gunslinger films my two of my favorite ones um this you know i i like the john wick movies a lot especially because of it seems like i mean that's that's kind of like the most mo like i feel like it's the most modern one that has come out and um it it's you know, a lot of those situations in that movie aren't very realistic, but the way that the weapons are handled and dealt with, I feel like are to an extent. Like, I, because I, I know that he did Keanu Reeves. I feel, I feel like he did some kind of specific training for that with with professionals, um, and it certainly seems like it. Obviously, it's just there's so much action and and gore in that movie and i appreciate it a ton equilibrium is another one i think um i feel like john wick might have been inspired by equilibrium a little bit but equilibrium's a lot more on the unrealistic side that one's just like gun fu and uh like the marsh mixing the martial arts uh a ton with that and it's just a futuristic world and it's just really it's a really cool film for me um, oh yeah, it's definitely there's uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, George Orwell's 1984 kind of influence on that, and uh, obviously it was you know right after the Matrix, so everybody was all about that that kind of style, you know, the long black trench coats and you know swinging guns and kung fu mixed in with your with your handguns. Um, I love yeah, the John Wick movies too. Um, those are great. Like he did a lot of three training with some some big time experts, so you know, working with both you know his his pistol, his rifle, and his shotgun, and transitioning between those three platforms very quickly. Um, and you can see that in his movements. And, and same thing, obviously, I love jujitsu. He trained a lot of jujitsu with the Machado brothers, and and you can see a lot of that uh, played out in the, in his hand to hand work that he does there. Um, but uh, if I had to choose, like my favorite as far as for like just silly fun is uh, is Desperado, you know, with Antonio Banderas, mm. where he's he's living like up on countertops, just like swinging guns back and forth, and he's got you know the guitar case full of guns, and it's it's just kind of a ridiculous um like i, said, I love down uh terminator terminator obviously love those movies um yeah. when arnold schwarzenegger Only shows the first yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> forget everything else three four five and however many more eight nine that they came out with <laughs> doesn't matter it should be done hopefully they need to figure out I, I maybe they don't they just need to stop that and move on to the next thing that they can i don't i don't think they're pro, they're probably not slated to come out with any more films for that no the last one was i think lost a ton of money so even with arnold coming back yeah and linda hamilton but yeah neither of them were able to save it <laughs> well i think we talked about a lot of really good stuff today and this was a really important episode for a bunch of people and i think it's uh your right as an american to defend yourself and 
you know, have that safeguard, you know, like it, you're not always going to need it, of course. And even if, even if you're not always going to need it, it's a really good thing to have. So this, this episode shed a lot of light for people, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And I, the one caveat I would add to that is that if you are going to have it, then you got to learn how to use it properly and, and store mm -hmm. it properly. That, yeah. Having, having it without having the knowledge of how to use it and, and how to store it is, is more dangerous, I think, than not having it at all. But yeah, that, that's a long discussion for another day. Yeah, I like that though. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to, that's a good, that's a good way to uh, close it up as having it and not knowing how to use it is more dangerous than not having it at all. So perfect, perfectly summed up, sir. Thank you. All right, my All man. right. Yeah, Shelby, thank you so much. Um, I uh, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And I really hope to do it again with you sometime in the future. Um, yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I really i am looking forward to you starting up your own podcast. And um, can't wait to, to see where that goes. And I want you to uh, have me on there sometime. That would be cool. So, Absolutely. would love to, man. That'd be great. Cool. All right. Well, I'll see you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, man. You too.